0: Yeah. <laughs> Celebration Rock Podcast presented by 93XFM here in Minneapolis and uprocks.com. I'm your host, Stephen Hyden. Today we're going to be counting down our top 10 albums of the year. Actually, it's about 20 records because it's going to be me doing a top 10 list and our good friend Ian Cohen sharing a list of 10. And, you know, Ian is a good friend of the podcast and Ian and I have similar tastes, but like there's not a lot of overlap on our lists. I think there's like two or three records that we had. On each, but for the most part, it's very different records. So you're going to come away from this episode with around 20, maybe 18, 19 albums that you can go and check out. And if I do say so myself, like these are not cookie cutter lists, okay? (laughs) You probably have lists coming out of your eyes by now. You've seen like a million of them, but a lot of lists, they kind of say the same records over and over again. And maybe, you know, you might find 50 lists, but it's kind of like the same 40, 50 records or so. A lot of the albums on our list, I don't think. Are popping up on a lot of lists, and uh, which is a shame because I think these are really great, and they really do rank among the best albums of the year. So hopefully, we will turn you on to something that might have you might have missed already, and uh, you can go check it out and and jam out to it over the holiday season. Um, also, have to say that uh, this is going to be our last episode, not just of the year, but for a while. You know, if, if you listen to this podcast, you know that every year I usually take a hiatus in January and February, and usually that's just because there's not a whole lot going on musically at that time, and I also have other things going on in my life, and it's nice to have that time uh, away from the podcast to do what I need to do. Well, looking ahead to 2019, I actually have a really busy year coming up and I can't really talk about what's going on right now, but there's a couple projects that I'm involved in that are really exciting and and fun and they're going to be time consuming. And as much as I love doing Celebration Rock, uh, the other things pay a lot more than this podcast. So I have to prioritize. And I have to do the things uh, that make me money and and are part of my job and all that stuff. So we may be away for longer than just a couple months. We may not be back until maybe the middle of 2018 or so. I'm not sure yet. And Are we okay with this, Derek? I mean— I'm springing uh, this on you here. I'll just be sitting here at the console with the— you know, ready to hit record. So just let me know. I know. I, I saw you, uh, you had one of those like knapsack, you like one of those sticks, like with the knapsack at the end, you know, <laughs> you're like, you're setting up camp. Sorry. So but anybody needs a podcast producer. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, again, we'll be back. I don't know exactly when we'll be back, uh, but we'll be back and better than ever. And in the meantime, you know, once I announce these projects, I think, You will all be excited about it. It's some really cool stuff, and I'm excited to do it. And, yeah, keep this feed going. Don't unsubscribe or anything. Keep the feed going, man, because, you know, we may just drop an episode on your ass, you know. You you may not know. It may be like a 10-part series on whatever, you know. We'll do do a 10-part series on the 1975 and uh, alienate all of our listeners or (laughs) or maybe make them happy. I don't know. Uh, So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I had a lot of fun doing it. It's going to be our last one for a while, so savor it. It's me and Ian Cohen talking about our favorite albums of 2018. <laughs> so I don't know if you feel this way, um, and this is sort of a weird way to preface this episode, I guess, but um, you know, I've been making lists of albums for, you know, I guess professionally, almost 20 years, but you know, before that, as an amateur, you know, many years before that. And um, usually, you know this is a process I enjoy. I look forward to it. You know, it's kind of like a like a fun activity, and I didn't really have a lot of fun this year making my <laughs> list, and I don't know if that's a reflection of the year or, like, my age or, or, you know, just just feeling like maybe, like, am I over lists or am I over the music this year? I don't know if you had that same feeling or not. I mean, because... Well,
1: I mean, you're, you're asking a guy who's very similar in age range to you and very... Uh, equally online and uh, so forth. So I don't know, perhaps for the person who's, you know, us 20 years ago, uh, I wonder if 2018 was just like as magical for them as maybe 1998 was for us. But that being said, yeah, this year did feel, and I think this is like a increasing, even more so perhaps from 2017, where you just feel kind of beaten down and towards like making the list Towards the end, there's always that feeling of like, oh my God, we're going to have to do this again next year, <laughs> like already, you know?
0: But is that like a reflection of like not feeling excited about the albums that we're ranking, or is it just because we're, you know, entering middle age and it's like, we've done this for too long, like we're, we're, we're getting too old for this shit, like the Danny Glover and Lethal Weapon thing. Is that is that it? Or is it the year? Because, I mean, I always hate it when people say, oh, it was a bad year for music, because I always feel like mm-hmm. you can find great records every year. You know, if you think it's bad, you're just not looking hard enough. That being said, (laughs) Mm -hmm. 2018 does feel overall a little underwhelming to me, perhaps because the Big Tent records, by and large, did not work. You know, they weren't very good. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's exciting when when you have a variety of different choices that people say is the album of the year and all that. I mean, I think that's exciting, but I don't know, my feeling overall is that it was a good, not great year. You know, I don't know if there were a lot of masterpieces this year or, like, records that you heard and felt like, oh, this is a defining album of this time that people are going to love forever. Like, I didn't really get that feeling a whole lot this year. How about you?
1: I mean, I look back on last year. I mean, I think this is a bit of an improvement over last year, if you really think about it. I think 2016 in so many ways was, I mean, people would say, oh, well, you know, like it was the fourth best Radiohead album, the fourth best Beyonce album, like, you know, maybe the eighth best David Bowie album. But like at the same time, there were just so many events going on in so many different genres, be it rap, be it like, you know, Frank Ocean, like in R&B and pop and punk and emo. I mean, there was just like so much going on in all forms. And maybe, I mean, it's it's really hard to, you know, dissociate this from just the general sense of, like, decline in Twitter, um, you know, Twitter discourse and politics and all that. Like, I think it's just, it's hard to get excited about anything anymore. And I think that sense came across in a lot of ways with people who aren't even our age. You know, it's like, what was the out, you know, what what like what are the masterpieces of our time, and you know perhaps that's like not a conversation for this one because we talk mostly about uh rock music <laughs> uh maybe like there there's stuff going on in other genres, but it, it really there did seem to be more of a fatigue this year,
0: but I mean, there wasn't like um, a great hip hop record was there like a, like a like an all time hip hop record or like an all time in any genre record. I, I just feel like that's true, like an all-time pop record. I feel like a lot of the big-time pop records, you know, were, were you know, they were sort of disasters in a lot of respects, yeah. you know? Like, I mean, like, Jay-Z and Beyonce put out an album this year, and it was mm-hmm. fine, I guess, but, like, does anyone remember that? I mean, there's no song from that record that, like, really well, mattered at all beyond the week it came out.
1: You yeah, know? I mean, I think the video for Ape Shit, like, mattered a lot. And you see it, like, kind of hanging on some of the, uh, in some of the uh, year-end lists or whatever, yeah, but I mean, I mean, come on! You know, but like like a, by a, Beyonce
0: no, like, standards, though, it was kind yeah. of like yeah. underwhelming, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was. It was not even as big as like Watch the Throne. Um, <laughs> right. I would say just in general, like I mean, maybe Casey Musgraves is like an example of like a record that will probably stand the test of time. You know, loved by all. Right. Um, you know, all corners. But and I love all, that record,
0: but that's not like yeah. a huge hit either. I mean, you know, it is. She's like nominated for like
1: several grammys.
0: I mean, I feel like Casey Musgraves is uh I mean, she's popular, but I feel like she has that thing with a lot of women in country music right now where they have a lot of fans but they're not been, being played on the radio. So like she should, yeah. that, I feel like Golden Hour <laughs> that could have been a bigger record than it was certainly on country music. Yeah, radio. but
1: I, I hear High Horse at Ralph's. I mean, like <laughs> that's a level of ubiquity that uh you know, I mean, that says a lot right there. And I yeah. think, you know, she's she's pretty similar uh, in that regard to um, uh, Janelle Monet who people, right. you know, a lot of magazines and, you know, Grammys and so like, that's real Grammy based stuff right there. I was, I thought it was like significantly weaker than stuff before, but yeah, it's like, yeah, I don't think you hear her stuff on the radio really at all. So, uh, you know, the, the big records of the year and perhaps maybe that's always the case with like Radiohead, you know, similar to Radiohead where it's like, very uh, esteemed by critics and by, you know, the industry or whatever, but, like, you didn't, like, when was the last time you heard, like, a new Radiohead song on right. the radio, you know?
0: Yeah, it's kind of interesting to think about, like, Casey Musgraves and Janelle Monae and then maybe, like, like St. Vincent being in the same zone, like, for their respective well, genres, you know, like, where they're, yeah, like, really S- respected in... That- same since it's on the radio now.
1: <laughs> Same with like Arcade Fire. She's kind of gone that trajectory from like indie to alternative almost because yeah. you know, on a major label. And...
0: But, you know, again, you're in you're in L.A. I'm in the middle of the country. It's a little bit different out here, I think. But, you know, I, fair I, I, fair I, point. I like the I Heard Casey Musgraves at Ralph's. Uh, like like that being a new sign of like uh, of of stardom that like you've made it because you've been playing <laughs> at Ralph's. Uh, it okay. is. <laughs> well, okay, so you know, I'm whining here a little bit. I did make a list. I do feel good about my list. I'm I'm really happy about the records that made it. And do you feel good about your list?
1: Uh, yeah. (laughs) I feel good about like the top, but like any given year, I mean like one of the fun things I did was like look back at like the number nine records of like past years. And it's like that spot always seems to be the one where it's like a record that like I really got into towards the end of the year and but it's like, oh man, that's, okay, cool. You know, there's
0: there's all. <laughs> I, I, I'm not certain all ten of these are going to hold up. <laughs> that's interesting because I feel like I feel like that's true of my number nines as well. That it's like it's kind of like the late surger where you thought yeah. this was pretty good when it came out, and then you're like listening to records at the end of the year, and you're like, oh wait, this is like pretty good, like better than I thought initially, maybe. And that's my number nine record too this year. So yeah. it's interesting about the number nine, and we we've seen each other's lists, by the way. Yes. And I think it's fascinating that we have the same number three. Yes. Exact number three, but we'll get to that later. So yeah. we're, let's each run through, like, our six through ten. We'll go okay. more in depth with our top fives, but, like, what's your six through ten?
1: All right, so starting with number ten, um, that one, like, it's always, like, that. that's always the toughest decision because, you know, that's where it cuts off, like, 10, 11 and 12, like that's not, a, it's, you know, everyone sees that. But 10 I went with, um, towards the end of the year, I gave more lessons to Camp Copes, how to socialize and make friends. Um It's a, it, you know, I was a huge fan of their 2016 record. And, uh, you know, at the beginning, I'm like, well, there isn't as much growth musically as I wanted. But when I really listened to this record, it, it kind of takes a lot of things that people talked about in general, like with, um, you know, sexism in the music industry and like, the idea is, like, so-and-so eviscerates, you know, this bad thing. And this record really just went in. Like, I appreciate its bluntness and how it just it goes. It like just takes a blowtorch to all of its subjects in a way that I find very, like, satisfying. And you know, there, it didn't have, like, the timidity uh, that I got from a lot of records that dealt in similar topics. Like, they just, like, called people out, put their careers at risk. And it was very... Uh, thrilling, Um, you know, in a way that their first record, which was more diverse, perhaps wasn't. I think this is one that's going to be pretty influential and important, like, you know, as far as, like, younger people. Uh, number nine, I had Daughters, You Won't Get What You Want. Uh, a band I never really paid much attention to before, but this one really served my needs for, like, theatrical, like, swans. Uh, slint-type metal and just pure malevolence. Um, you know, there's one song where he just yells, don't tell me how to do my job, and it's about music critics, you know. I found that to be very viscerally satisfying. Uh, number number eight is Young Jesus. The whole thing is just there. It's a band that um, I think could be making records of this uh, caliber, of this type, for a very, very long time. Um, and I think you'll have a bit more to say about it as well. Number seven, I have Turnstiles, Time and Space uh best gem record of the year i want to also give a little (laughs) bit of a shout to vane's error zone which is kind of in the similar uh wave of kind of new metal uh sort of just aggro music that um works on a very lizard brain level uh number six i had jeff rosenstock's post there was a bit of a time where i wondered if like this record when i go too long without listening to it i think i wonder if it's like that was the beneficiary of a lot of um make-up calls for people ignoring Worry when it first came out. But when I listen to Post, it, it really establishes Jeff as a guy who's going to be a voice uh, that makes important, high-quality records for a long time, even if this one isn't, you know, D one for him. So that's my 10 through 6.
0: And he's kind of taken over that, that lane of, like, anthemic, you know, punk rock, that also, you know, is similar spiritually, like Bruce Springsteen, like that, that, you know, that lane Sports of rock that, you know, yeah. Japan Droids kind of own for a while, but they don't, they don't put enough records to like really yeah. kind of own it. So like, I think well, then, Rosenstock has stepped in. I think in. Ted
1: Leo too, cause, you know, because like, he's a guy who appeals on a very political, like, you know, Japan Droids aren't political. Uh, Jeff is, and you know, like, and also like Ted Leo, uh, music critics, particularly like people our age fucking love Jeff Rosenstock. So.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I'd say, you know, in all respect to Ted Leo, but I think Rosenstock right now, it's his moment. He's got that line, yeah. Absolutely. so I'd, I'd give it to him. So but He so, serves
1: a, a similar role to what, like, Ted Leo might have in 2003.
0: Right, right. So I like all those records. I have no objections, so <laughs> well done uh, with those. I mean, none of those records—well, actually, one of them made my list, but the, the, yeah. the others I all enjoyed, and Rosenstock and Turnstyle in particular— you know, I haven't made a top fifty list or, <laughs> yet or mm-hmm. anything, but you know they'd be in the mix. They'd probably be in the top twenty five or so. So I like both of those records a lot. My number ten is the Lemon Twigs. Their album Go to School. It's a rock opera. These these two brothers from the East Coast. Um, this was a band that I was sort of unsure about when they first came out. They seemed very derivative, and yet they they still have a very sort of seventies rock type sound. But they've found a way to expand beyond that and they and they've really I think taken it in sort of a twisted, unique direction on this record Go to School. So, you know, maybe there's hope for greta Van Fleet. Maybe they'll make their next album a rock opera. Probably they probably won't though. Uh number nine is Lush by Snail Mail and we were talking before about number nine records being sort of late surgers. And this was Mm -hmm. the case for me. I liked this record when it first came out. But uh in the past like month or so I've been listening to it a lot more and I've really I think Come to really love it. I think more so when it came out. I think when it first came out, I thought that there were a lot of good songs on the first half of the record, and then it kind of fell off at the end. But now for me, the whole record holds together really well. I still think that Lindsey Jordan um, has a lot of potential that she has not yet tapped into, and she's awfully young. Mm-hmm. And I think people. Uh, we'll, hopefully I think she's gonna be. she'll make an even better record after this one, so I'm really excited to hear more from her. Uh, number eight is Kiss Your Frenemies by Illuminati Hotties, uh, a record on the Tiny Engines label, and I know we're going to be talking about a lot of Tiny Engines records on both of our lists. I think we both agree that this was probably the indie label of the year, if not of the mm-hmm. decade. I know that we, we've both loved a lot of records that this label has put out, but they are a true independent label based in North Carolina. They don't you know a lot of indie labels are involved in corporate labels in some respect usually with how the records are distributed but tiny engines is totally independent and this is a record that to me i feel like illuminati hotties is one of those bands that i think could actually kind of go beyond sort of the punk emo niche that tiny engines is in this is like just a really great indie pop record i feel like if this band was actually on a you know on a bigger label or maybe with a better well-known PR company that this album would have shown up more because it was definitely sort of, it's the kind of record that like critics are really embracing right now, where, you know, again, it's a, uh, it's a record that there's some punk songs on there, but there's also like really glossy pop, you know, it, it kind of jumps between genres very freely and it shows a real sort of conversance with a lot of different, uh, styles of music. Uh, so I expect this record, uh, to maybe have a larger footprint, beyond 2018 especially you know as they make more records uh, number seven father john misty god's favorite customer i feel like people forgot about this record maybe because they're a little tired of father john misty um this is a record actually i think it's one of his best albums that he's made um really beautiful record uh i think it hangs together really well uh, for people that were maybe turned off by pure comedy maybe they didn't give this album a listen but i think if you ever liked father john misty especially like i love you honey bear era this record is a return to that with maybe a more grown-up perspective to it. Um, uh, other than that, I, I just think Father John Misty's on a great tear creatively right now. I think he's one of the great artists of the decade. I know that that is a polarizing opinion. A lot of people can't stand him, but I think he's great. So that's why he's at number seven. And number six uh, is Golden Hour by Casey Musgraves. Um, this is, I think, one of the record's of this year where, to me, again, in a down year for sort of great tentpole records, this feels like the exception to the rule. Um, And I I just love it. I think it's, it sounds like an 80s Fleetwood Mac record to me. It sounds like a record that could have come out between Mirage and uh, Tango in the Night. And I don't know if it's country music, I don't really care. Uh, I just think it's a great sort of singer-songwriter-pop record. Uh, And I think it deserves to be topping all the lists that has been topping. So it's number six on my list. So that's our both of our six through tens, a pretty good diversity of records in there, uh, mm-hmm. but they didn't make the top five. So let's talk about our top fives. What was your number five?
1: My number five was a band, uh, Me Without You and their untitled uh, album. And also I'd probably throw in the EP, which is a kind title as well. Now this band is one who I've been kind of, Tangentially familiar with, cause I mean, if you wanted to see any of the bigger bands from like, you know, the emo world in the past couple of years, you probably had to see them open for me without you because they got kind of a head start, you know, by 10 years and became pretty popular on their own accord. Um, I always found them to be uh, a little mystifying. Their lyrics are like just super dense with like religious allegory and like biblical references. And, um, and the music itself isn't all, it's, it, it can be kind of austere. Um, and not really pop-oriented, but nonetheless, like, you tell, like, the energy was there, and I figure that's just the band that I missed out on. Like, my window for liking this band had just kind of come and gone, and that was the case when I heard their record from 2015, Pale Horse. Now, this one, um, you know, when I heard the EP, now, the EP is probably more user-friendly. It's got, like, songs that are reminiscent of, like, R.E.M. if played by a post-hardcore band, or, like, just some dub songs, and that was a real introduction to like untitled the album itself, which is one of the most like lyrically interesting albums I've heard in 2018. The genius page for this one is just uh, insane because you have, you know, first off the insane fans that Me without you as, you know, fostered over the years, but every single lyric has like some sort of like, like biblical or geographic, It's just very sort of, almost like Jeff Mangumish or whatever in that sense, but it also kicks ass because Will yet produced it and they have a rhythm section that plays in a post-hardcore style. So it really appeal. like I can work out to it, but also I can lean into it just like you know, dissect the lyrics and try to get at what this guy's going through and still one of the most electrifying live bands ever, um, not ever, but like of the current moment. I think this record um, is a rare... Uh, is a rare time where a band that's, you know, over a decade or so deep, you know, starts peaking. Um, and I'm not surprised that it didn't get as much attention. I think the same was the case with a band like Piano's Become the Teeth, who kind of run in a similar sort of, um, uh, you know, post-Screamo, very serious uh, lyrical style, but they made a great pop record with Wait for Love, you know, reminiscent of like White Pony or, so forth, but yeah, this is (laughs) just a record that didn't really fit into any sort of camp, and I feel like it just didn't get the attention it deserves.
0: I love that you worked a White Pony reference in there. That's like, you know... Dude, that's what you bring me on the show for, right? I know, I was going to say, people playing the Ian Cohen drinking game at home, it's like a (laughs) huge drink with that. Um, So my number five record is a record that you already mentioned. It's The Whole Thing Is Just There by Young Jesus, and this is a record I think similar to me without you, where you know, People that talk about how indie rock isn't very adventurous or it's sort of just beating the same drum. I wish I could yeah. play them this Young Jesus record because, well, first of all, Young Jesus is a band. It's the only constant member of this band is a guy named John. Is it is it Rossiter, Rossiter? Uh, it John Rossiter, yeah. John Rossiter, originally from Chicago, relocated to Los Angeles. He's the only constant member of this band. Um, and I interviewed him earlier this year. Young Jesus actually put out a. A well-regarded self. Uh, I guess the EP's not self-titled. It's S slash T.
1: No, I mean that, that ain't an EP. That's sh- that's like fifty minutes long.
0: <laughs> well, their 2017 record. I feel like that yeah. was the first record, certainly of theirs that I had heard, and it was uh, yeah, released it's, it's independently. First,
1: like it's the first like new version, of and, and their older stuff is worth listening to as well. But like the new iteration begins with like self-titled.
0: Was self-titled and that was independent independently released in 2017, and then Saddle Creek. The venerated email, email label, they they picked it up and they, they re-released it earlier this year. And then Young Jesus put out this new record. The whole thing is just there in the fall. And it's a record that I think it starts from a template of, like, 90s indie rock. Like, when I listen to them, I'm actually reminded of, like, early Modest Mouse a lot when I yes. listen to them. But they take that template... In a direction that I don't think most bands that are playing with that style like even touch. Like no. when I when I when I when I talked to Rossiter, he talked a lot about being inspired by jazz and improvisational music, and we even talked about the Grateful Dead quite a bit. Uh, and mm. you hear that on this record. There's there's sort of a it, there's an improvisational aspect to a lot of what they do, where he writes really good songs, but often they're a, a starting point for launching into these sort of really great improvisational things where it's not jazz but it's it's playing with sort of like the noisy aspects of like free jazz and and yeah. the noisier aspects of what you would hear if you listen to a grateful dead bootleg from the 70s and the the uh like I know on the self-titled record there's that 13 minute song that ends the record uh called storm and then mm-hmm. on uh on the the whole thing is just there there's like a 20 minute concluding track And, um, maybe some people, your eyes are already rolling in the back of your head when I say that, (laughs) but there is something really sort of exciting about this band that's very unpredictable, that they can deliver the goods, um, as an indie rock band, but they can also take it to places that, um, again, it, it doesn't conform, I think, to a lot of the formulas that bands of this kind often conform to. Um, and I just found this record to be incredibly exciting and, Uh, Full of ideas, but also again, it delivers the red meat that you would want from a record like this. Uh, You know, they're not too esoteric, where you where you can appreciate it, but you're not really enjoying it. You know, it it it, Mm -hmm. it does have that sort of like that the guts and the marrow that you want from a record like this. But it also again, it's not predictable. It's not just sort of running through the same paces. Um, This is a band I'm really excited about, and this is a record Mm -hmm. that I really like liked a lot and I wrote about the EP and I interviewed Rossiter earlier this year and I wasn't able to write about the album because I'd already written about them but uh, mm. I don't know this is a record that to me more people should know about And <laughs> I feel like it, re- re-
1: you know, it really is you um, know,
0: exan- uh, it feels like a dereliction of modern music journalism that they aren't getting the play that they that they should because again I feel like they sort of defy a lot of the stereotypes that people have about indie rock right now i feel like if they, they were, were more well known uh i feel like they deserve more props i i think for busting the formula
1: i concur with that and you know also it's interesting because i mean they are like a rock band i, I that that they still have that kind of midwestern like humility to them but like a lot of people who say well i don't listen to indie rock anymore and they gravitate more towards like improv or noise or jazz i mean they do that too but it's not like you know king gizzard and the lizard wizard where it's like you're (laughs) supposed to zone out during this like 20-minute jam it's like very it's it's still uh music it requires like attention at all times there's very little like drift or like vibe it's uh i just think it's very substantial music and the cool thing is like even when they're playing an opening set Uh, They'll still play all 20 minutes of golf, which is (laughs) like, this is our last song. And then they play like the 20 minute song, which I think is a tremendous flex. (laughs) Yeah, I
0: I have not seen them live yet. They're one of those bands. They got signed basically off their live shows, so I would highly recommend it. I don't know if they've been in the Midwest very often. Uh, If they have, I've missed it, but they're definitely near the top of my list of bands I haven't seen yet that I want to go see. Um, Who's number four on your list?
1: Number four on my list is "Awake But Still in Bed," um, and for the sake of time, I will not read the entire album title. <laughs> but um, they're a band like also on Tiny Engines. Um, they self released their out like they self released this, I believe, on January third, two days after Post came out. Also produced by Jack Shirley, and um, they got snapped up by Tiny Engines. And I think just like Illuminati Hotties, uh, this is a band that could or probably should have had a much bigger imprint on music in 2018 when you look at like the sort of band that did get uh you know in that indie winner circle or what like this uh shannon taylor the woman who leads it i mean she you like you watch her and like she is like a star she is someone with incredible stage presence and her screaming is like very um theatrical and controlled like it's it's not for everyone, but she has just such great, um, such great possession of it. And I saw them open up for, like, I think their first show, like, in a while, was, like, on, for Joyce Manor uh, in Southern California, like, in Orange County at a, at a very big venue. And, you know, this is not the sort of fit. Like, in the past, you would see bands that were, like, super new and get kind of hyped, like, play these kind of gigs and just, like, melt down. Uh, they absolutely controlled it. And this is, like, a Joyce Manor crowd um who like they are there to see Joyce Manor, and they still just like completely wrecked it and every time they do it live like i saw them play for like two people in a record store as well they still killed it and they're this is you know essentially somewhere between like rainer maria and the hotel year um you know kind of an extra spicy rainer maria and uh i have such high hopes for what this band can do um it's just a record of extreme emotions. Like they call themselves extremo. <laughs> and uh it's certainly not for everyone. Cause some people might not be able to take the vocals, but I just think with like a year where a lot of like strong, like female fronted indie rock acts were put to the forefront. Like this one did things a little differently in the sense that it embraced the like screamo aspect and still wrote really tight songs. And, um, like really just like dark and dense lyrics. Uh, and once again, if this was a band that had maybe gotten a little more visibility, uh, whether it's through promotion or just like a certain tour or whatever, um, I think they could have you know, been a more of a presence on year end list. But, you know, at the same time, I feel like they're going to work quickly. And I don't think it's going to take very long for the new record to come out from them.
0: And I should point out that Awake But Still In Bed, for those of you who want to check this band out, it's all one word. So Awake yeah. But Still In Bed, no spaces. I will say that this was a band that I. it took me a little bit of time to get into because of what you said, the vocals are a little bit of uh, <laughs> you know, maybe a deal breaker for people. But uh, you, yeah. <laughs> I think if you hang in, you get used to the vocals and there's just an energy to their music and when I first heard it, it seemed just shrill, like, in some respects, but, like... <laughs> it, it, uh, and it is. It, it is, really but, is. like, but just the energy of it and the power, and, you know, you mentioned how, like, like female-fronted indie rock acts, I mean, that has been, I think, the story of, of indie rock certainly in the last, you know, several years. couple years, yeah. And, um, but, like, a lot of those bands don't really push... the the edges too much on like you know pushing it into the red. You know, like a lot of the bands are sort of like in a mid range of of mellowness to a degree. Mm -hmm. And awake but still in bed kind of smashes that and they go I think farther than a lot of the a lot of the bands maybe of that ilk. So if you're looking for something Yeah, and that's that's what I liked
1: about Camp Cope as well. It like this really pushes it's it's very confrontational in a way that I, I just love.
0: So my number four record is To the Sunset by Amanda Shires, and Mm. for my singer-songwriter fans out there, I feel like this was one of the great singer-songwriter records of the year. Uh, If you're a person that's into great lyrics, great storytelling lyrics, uh, this was one of the albums that I felt like was a very reliable record to turn to. Like One of my favorite songs on this record is uh, called Wasn't I Paying Attention, and it's about this... Uh, story in a small town in Alaska, and uh, involving two people, and it has like the most shocking ending of like any song mm-hmm. that I've heard this year. Just a great. It, it unfolds like a short story, and there's lots of songs on this record that are like that. And it, it, if you know Amanda Shires, you may know her from her own record. She's been putting out albums uh, for over a decade now, you know, longer than mm-hmm. that. She's associated with the Americana genre, and I've always like liked her stuff, but. To the Sunset to me was a real breakthrough for her because she was able to kind of break free of 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 a lot of the clichés that we associate with Americana music you know with the fiddles and the guitars and you know this kind of the sepia-toned sound of a lot of those records this album uh and and she was working with Dave Cobb who of course is yeah. you know the biggest producer in Nashville right now uh she was really able to kind of expand her sonic reach to a point where this record it sounds more almost like an 80s college rock record than it does an Americana yeah. record. There's, you know, there's elements of R.E.M. and The Smiths and Echo and the Bunnymen on there, while at the same time having a lot of those, again, those great storytelling lyrics, uh, you know, being integrated into the song. So for me, this was just a record that, more than any other album that she's put out, it, it delivered the goods musically as well as lyrically. And uh, again, if you if you're into that kind of record, you know, there were a lot of, you know, critically acclaimed singer-songwriter records this year. Uh, but to me, this is really, like, one of the best of the bunch. And I think it's been a little bit underrated. Uh, you know, it got good reviews when it first came out, but on, on year-end lists, I'm not seeing it in a whole lot of places. Uh, so I, I wanted to give it some shine on my own list because uh, I think it's a really great record. And, and kind of similar to what you were saying about uh, Me Without You, you know, Amanda Shires is another person who's been in the game for a while, Um but I feel like she's just kind of hitting her stride right now. And I'm, I, I love this record, and I'm kind of curious. I'm definitely curious to hear what she does next uh, after this. Yeah. So, uh, Amanda Shires to the Sunset, definitely check that out. What's number three on yeah. your list? Well, well, we know it's number three on both of our lists. This is like, yeah. speaking of great storytelling lyrics and sort of a heartland rock sound, we both put Yoke in mm-hmm. the Fur by Wild Pink. At number three on our list. And I'm curious, like, like we both love this album. Like, why did you put it at number three? Like, number three is sort of an interesting spot on a year end list. Sometimes your number three record is a record you like more than number one, but you feel like maybe Mm -hmm. isn't significant enough to put it at number one. Like, Mm -hmm. that's often true for me when I make these lists.
1: Like, well, for me, it's definitely not the case like, i mean <laughs> but um with with this record yeah I, it's 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 fitting that it's number three for both of us because I mean like talk about hitting the exact midpoint between uh you know emo and like the heartland rock uh right. you know a band on tiny engines that like just hits that sort of like it it's it's like not emo in any sense of the word like i mean maybe the earlier stuff was and but um, yeah, Yoke in the Fur. I mean, like Wild Pink was a band that I figured would uh, kind of comfortably hit that you know number twenty spot for me year after year after year. You know, very low key and enjoyable, and you know not something I get like too worked up about. And I remember hearing that this one, um, like uh, just the, when the synths come in on the first song, like you just get the like it's not a band I would ever expect to really like level up in the way they did and. The interesting part about it is that it kept that same sort of, like, yeah, a lot of Heartland rock, you know, like, like, for example, like War on Drugs or like Amen Dunes or bands that like tap into that sort of thing. Like, they have, like, the lyrics are good and they're useful and they're tactile within the sense of like the music, but they're very rarely like literary in the sense that, uh, Wild Pink is. And even though this one's a little bit less, um, Referential than, uh, their self-title from last year. It, it still gives like a real sense of place and, uh, there's a lot of care taken in the lyrics. So, you know, even if the music wasn't so, uh, grand and luminous, it, it was still something you could still give a lot of attention to. It, it It definitely rewards close listening, which I mean, for as much as I love, You know, War on Drugs, Tame Impala, etc. You could kind of vibe out to that stuff.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, Um, you you mentioned the War on Drugs a couple of times. And like when I was trying to sell people on this album, because Wild Pink is one of those bands that I feel like, like a lot of bands on both of our lists, they're they're floating below the radar. I feel like there's certain people that know these bands and love them, but they're not they're certainly not getting the frontline coverage on indie music sites. You know, they're not dominating. They're not getting
1: that opening spot for Spoon or whatever. Yeah, they're not
0: dominating, yeah. you know, Spotify playlists or anything, But uh, which says nothing about the quality of the music. I think it says something sometimes about how bands are positioned in the industry, who you're associated yeah. with, and, <laughs> and, and, you know, your PR companies and your record labels and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, Wild Pink... I would sell them by likening them to the War on Drugs. And I feel like this record in particular, more so than their self title record from 2017, which is also great, mm-hmm. you, you mentioned how they leveled up on this record, and, and it's definitely sort of in the expansiveness of the sound, that this is a much bigger, grander-sounding record, and that songs like Lake Erie, which is that tr- track you were referencing that comes at the beginning yeah. of the record, it has the sprawl of a, of a War on Drugs song. Um, the difference is that as you said and i think even adam from the war on drugs would probably agree with this that like in the war on drugs it's about sound it's about sensation and 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 the words are there to help sort of add to the music it's it's more about kind of how the vocal sound more than what adam is ever saying specifically in a lot of his songs whereas yeah. with with john ross who's the songwriter for wild pink he is writing these stories in his songs uh that brings a sense of intimacy i think to this record that Maybe The War on Drugs doesn't have. I think The War on mm-hmm. Drugs is like this kind of grandly beautiful music. And I mean, I love The War on Drugs, as anyone who listens to this podcast knows. Mm-hmm. But um, while Pink to me, and I think maybe this is where you get the emo thing from them, is that it feels more like someone telling you about their life in the music. Yeah. You know? And there's like someone talking to you. Uh, mm-hmm. So there's an intimacy there that I think with this band that um, contrasts with the grandness of the music sometimes.
1: Mm -hmm. not to be John Ross not to be confused with John Rossiter who's the young Jesus guy
0: exactly well yeah basically (laughs) if your name is John and there's like an R-O-S at the beginning of your last name like you're going to be on one of these lists I mean you're just
1: uh, also John Ross the uh, wide receiver from the Bengals a couple of touchdowns this year so good year for
0: that name and I put him on my list too even though he didn't make a record I was like well let's (laughs) throw him on there he's a John Ross Uh, so yeah Wild Pink Yoke in the Fur uh, definitely check this record out if you haven't heard it yet i think it's uh definitely one of the big i mean it's so funny i I, i've done sleeper lists the -hmm. last couple years and i always put wild pink on there like they're always a sleeper and i feel like at some point they shouldn't be a sleeper because more people know about that well
1: i mean they talked about making like a big uh concept record about the american west similar to the monitor next time around so maybe maybe people will be like maybe the pump will be primed for that one you know yes
0: I'm very I'm very excited to hear that one. That, yeah. <laughs> that'll, that'll be good. Uh, number two, and mm-hmm. uh, has anyone heard of this album? This is a very unknown record. I, I'm glad someone's finally talking about it at number two <laughs> on your list.
1: Yeah. Um, we should probably, like, earmark an entire episode to talk about the 1975, <laughs> but... Um yeah boy this this one right here I don't I wonder if it was like genius of them to like drop it near the year end uh so people would be like talking about this and very little else right. uh, during the entirety of December or um you know whether it's like a good idea to just like okay, the backlash is gonna happen, let's just take care of it now when nothing else is going on um well, I wanna say I like think, you know
0: like I feel like there's been years of Ian Cohen uh campaigning here not just yeah. for the 1975 at Pitchfork but also Mitski at Pitchfork because you were like the first person to write about Mitski I think there back when she was yeah. you know sort of known as an emo person and now you know she's like you know like the figurehead of indie rock at the moment uh yeah. which
1: always listen to me that, no I'm just kidding um Mitski I wasn't the first person to find out I, I wrote the record about the record but like I think uh Jen Kelly wrote about, like, the single first or something okay. like that. But, either, but yeah, with the 1975, I mean, that's, like, a very, very different discussion, because, I mean, uh, you know, their first song, uh, Sex, um, you know, the first one I heard, there was, like, three different versions of it, and, I mean, like, that sounds to me like a Jimmy Eat World song, and I'm like, oh, hell yeah, this is my <laughs> shit right here. And, um, you know, they've obviously evolved quite a bit, but at the same time, there is that uh, emo-ness to them, which, by the way, like, Matty Healy, like, he name-drops, like, a lot of those bands, um, like Algernon cadwell or like, even stuff like that. But um, this new record, I, I think in a lot of ways it was kind of uh, a long time coming because, I, to me, it's not... I, I don't love it quite as much as, like, the one from 2016 because, um, it's to me, it's, like, similar to the difference between, like, Drake's Take Care and Nothing Was the Same, where it's like it's a bit better form that the singles are stronger, but I kind of miss that, like, reckless, like, try anything, like, sometimes fall flat on your face ambition of that one. But this one, uh, I think it was, in a lot of ways, it was a makeup call, I think, for people not taking them seriously for uh, the first five years. And granted, it's kind of easy to see why. I think a lot of times, like, uh... Pop bands that play guitars uh, are kind of the uh, glitch in the Poptimist matrix. I mean, I think you see that today <laughs> with like Def Leppard. With Def Leppard making the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, it's like I mean, they they were a pop band that like you know set the entire '80s in motion for hair metal. I mean, that was a dominant sound of pop culture, and they helped us get there. But with the 1975, I mean, I think it was just a matter of the narrative catching up to them. Um, and they, when the time came for them to Uh, meet the expectations they did it i mean i think that they are in our own like kind of similar to vampire weekend in a weird way where they like just take from like all facets of pop uh and lyrics that are like very much speak to the current generation but they don't present as like intellectual or cerebral as a matter of fact they do the exact opposite (laughs) because you know maddie really doesn't like to wear shirts a lot right uh, and he Clearly, he likes to do heroin. And I mean, he presents as a rock star and a pop star. And like, that's just, especially in the context of a band, that's very unusual in the current day. But what I just love the fact that this band, um, in in contrast to a lot of pop acts and even in contrast to a lot of indie rock acts, just embrace a certain kind of like adolescent shittiness, in, 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 for lack of a better term. Like, they write like songs just better the people in those songs are not very admirable. Um and they take the risk of being hated. Um even for even like a song like Give Yourself a Try, which is a very positive message, it's like, oh, did they just really rip off Joy Division's disorder? It's like right. Hell yeah, they did.
0: Well they, and, like, and and this band is loathed, by the way, still. Like oh you know, and God, even though critics yeah. <laughs> have kind of I mean I feel like the last record was was reviewed pretty positively, but this record it seems like has really at least for millennial critics, okay computer people yeah. really said that. Did they say that? I mean my take on the 1975 is that I think they are they are a great singles band. And I think if you made a playlist of like their best singles with a couple album tracks sprinkled in there, it would be an amazing playlist. To me they're a less successful albums band and I think that's true of all three of their albums. Um I mean there's some terrible songs on this on this latest record. Like there's the jazzy song that 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 jazzy yeah. cover that they do. You know, there's a lot of I mean I feel like when I listen to their albums there's a lot of things that they do that I appreciate as gestures. Like I appreciate the gesture of covering a jazz song. I appreciate the gesture of like wanting to do sort of like a hip hop sounding song or like, you know, showing the different diversity and the, in the, in the idea of ambition and like, you know, overextending your reach. And I, I like all those things in theory, but I think just as a listening experience, their albums are very up and down. And Mm -hmm. so like I put love it if we made it, at the top of my songs list, because I think that's Mm -hmm. not only a great song, but it seems very sort of like 2018. And I'm sure a lot of people shut this podcast (laughs) off when I said that, because when Pitchfork put that song at the top of their list, I had people texting me complaining about it. And I'm like, I don't even work at Pitchfork. (laughs) Why are you complaining to me about it? Uh, So a lot of people were pissed off when they saw that. I think it's a great song. I think all the singles are really great. I think uh, "Always Want to Die" sometimes, which is the last song on uh, uh-huh. "Brief Inquiry into Online Relationships," that's not a single. That's maybe my favorite 1975 song. I think that's a great mm-hmm. song. It doesn't hurt that it sounds a lot like Oasis, and like it has. I this... think it
1: sounds nothing like. I think it sounds like uh, like more like you know Third Eye Blind.
0: Well. Maybe I am projecting my oasis <laughs> fantasies onto nineteen seventy five and I want it to sound more like champagne Supernova that it is than it yeah. is, but at any rate, that's what it reminds me of, especially in the positioning on the record um yeah. but they have a lot of garbage songs too, you know, and so, so so it's hard for me to say like one of their albums is like one of the best of the year, but I think that this is certainly like one of the most interesting, important records of the year and 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 worthy of discussion and you know, when someone tells me that they hate the 1975, I never argue with them because I totally understand the hatred. Uh, but I also, especially now too, that they've been sort of embraced by the critical discourse and you're getting some like goop on your Grinch type comments (laughs) about them. I I had to make a goop on your Grinch reference in this podcast. Once once you get kind of sucked into that vortex, then it even intensifies the hatred that much more if you don't like Mm -hmm. the band. So I totally get that. But they didn't make my top 10, but I, I, I think that's totally acceptable that you put them at number two. Um, my number two record uh, is an EP, but I think it's, a, it, it's more satisfying than many of the albums I heard this year. And it's uh, the self-titled Boy Genius album. Mm. And, uh, of course, I'm biased here a little bit because all three members of Boy Genius, of course, that's Phoebe Bridgers, Julian Baker, and Lucy Dacus, they've all been on this podcast They were were on the podcast before they came together, so you know I, yeah, I feel like very proud of them that they've kind of teamed Mm -hmm. up here. But being a fan of all three of them separately, and I should also say that Lucy Dacus put out a really good record of her own called Historian, uh, that would probably be in my top twenty if I had a top twenty list yet. Um, But this record to me, um, it has some of the best songs that I think any of them have ever written. Certainly, like Me and My Dog. Uh, by uh, Phoebe Bridgers is a great song. Bite the Hand by Lucy uh, mm-hmm. Degas is a, is a great song. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's just a really great record. It kind of presents them all, I think, at their best. I think if if you're not familiar with the work of a particular member, this is a great entry point for that. Um I don't know. I I, I really kind of enjoy the idea of them being like an indie rock Crosby, Stills and Nash, you know, like with mm. a gender swap, because I think there yeah. is something to that. Where I hope, I mean, obviously they're going to all have their own careers, but I, I I do hope that this can be sort of like a Wu Tang situation for them, where they can kind of kind they can come in and out of it over the years and continue to collaborate. Because I do think that as sort of fully formed as each of their personalities are, that they come together really well. Like where you have Uh, someone like Phoebe Bridgers, who I think has probably the strongest pop sensibility out of any three of them. And then you have Julian Baker, who of course is the most emotionally intense and maybe brooding out of the three. And then you have Lucy, who is this sort of literary kind of dryly funny writer. And I think just putting the three of them together, it really enhanced each of their strengths. It compensated a little for maybe some of their respective weaknesses. And it just created this kind of great package uh, on a record that, again, it's only six songs. Some people might say an EP shouldn't be on a year-end list. I say hogwash because most records have too many songs, and this had just the right number of songs. Uh, So it's just extremely, extremely satisfying to listen to. So it's Mm -hmm. certainly one of my most listened-to records of the year. So I had to put it at number two. It's kind of the opposite of the 1975 record, which has like Mm -hmm. 15 songs, and I think that record's like three hours long. So... Boy Genius. Well, like I, mean, six I think are talking minutes. more about
1: the 2016 one. This one like clocks in at a very trim 58 minutes. Oh well. Wow, um, okay. But yeah, at times it feels like them. three
0: hours. But you know, well, what you
1: mentioned with like Boy Genius, like, I come from like kind of the other end where I find all three of these artists like kind of unsatisfying. And so like each of them has like their strengths, but I find that like on an album uh, length like it kind of drags a bit, but I actually like the EP way more than uh, I do their stuff individually. It kind of, you know, play to each of their strengths without having to, I guess, you know, have it attached to an album where you feel like unsatisfied if you're not listening to the entire 40 minute uh, part of it. And I mean, to be re- like, I think in the future, like the way people make NPR jokes about like the national or the December it's back in the day. I mean, I think this album's going to be kind of a, cornerstone of that um,
0: oh, like absolutely. Look back in 10 years oh absolutely but you know at yeah. the same time um,
1: like that that is, a, that is an objective statement that is not good nor bad But I think this right. is like really the center of like centrist indie rock this is the sound of it and this is the sound and like style of it right now
0: well and, and I would say too that like you know CSN was like never cool you know but there's something very satisfying about listening to oh, that music where it just kind of delivers like if you want that kind of music that like again, that kind of singer-songwriter pop where each member kind of brings something different to the table, it's never going to be the hippest thing in the world, but, like, it totally delivers. Like, it really works. And I think that uh, they work as a band, I think, surprisingly well, where, yeah, you know, I know that there was, there were people chattering here and there about, like, whether this was some sort of, like, record company brainstorm mm-hmm. to put these three together since they all – have kind of come out at the same time, they're around the same age and they kind of occupy a similar part of like the indie rock world. Uh, if there was like a brainstorm to kind of put them together, but, which I don't believe that's the case, but cause when you listen to the record, it, it feels really organic. And, it, and again, the way that they collaborate with each other, it just, it just makes sense. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, so yeah, I hope they continue and be not just the CSN, but the Wu-Tang of, uh, like a death squad or (laughs) or, yeah anyway so okay let's get to it our number one records of the year what's your number
1: one Uh, we should just skip it because anyone who's like followed me at all this year um, (laughs) probably knows where this is going to go I I think think for both of
0: us I think it's very unsurprising for both of us I didn't know what yours was oh Oh, really I feel like I I feel like I've said this for like months that it was probably going to be my number one but Mm. Um, what is your unsurprising number one
1: all right, so I took uh, Foxing's "Near My God" as my number one album of like 2018, and like this is really um, uh, when, when I think about whether 2017 or 2018 it was a more satisfying year for me. I mean, 2017 did not provide a record that delivered to the same degree that this one did. Um, I mean, maybe like brand new science fiction, but like, I mean, that <laughs> we, we won't get into that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Foxing is an example of a band who I liked, um, previously and I saw a lot of potential in them. Like they, they always had a very ambitious, diverse sound and like an extremely powerful live show, but, um, the records like, uh, the guy's voice is divisive to begin with, but like you could just put the, and you could just kind of see where other people might tune out and I think that's the case for this as well like this record hasn't really uh, i mean it hasn't really increased their profile to the degree where it should i mean like don't get me wrong it's been like a wildly successful year for them um, in some ways but it hasn't pushed them towards that uh, level of like indie elite and we, we've mentioned this a few times in the bands that we've talked about, but I mean, when it comes down to it, this is still a band that's on Triple Crown Records, which is the home of, you know, brand new Circa Deja Antendu, um, you know, Sorority Noise, and Tiny Moving Parts. Um, whereas people sit here and say, oh, this sounds kind of like TV on the radio. Well, yeah, if they were on 4AD and like were positioned a certain way, I think you would have a far different reception to it. But what this record represents to me is just Every time, like I like every time I like look for a number one record, especially in terms of indie rock, I want something that delivers the same sense of like grand, like us against the world ambition that I got from the bands that really got me into this. Like you know, like your modest mouths and arcade fires, and broken social scenes, and whatever. Like this record doesn't really sound like them, but it still has that same. We are just gonna like put it all out, put it all out there. Like fuck it, we are gonna like just. Get, like just make this very dense and emotionally, um, emotionally confrontational record, and you know make our most like biggest pop songs and stuff. Like we want to make a nine-minute like ambient song. We're going to do that too. And you know th- this one just kept like satis- It's so dense in the beginning, and it just keeps giving more and more um, as it goes on. I think the title track itself is particularly poignant. Um, because what 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 it's really about uh, the song is they wanted to keep it off the record because it was like so close to home about like playing these shows and like you know you're kind of successful but like the, like you're not really making any money and it's like do people really care about what it is that we do like can, can someone just like give us this validation we crave and you know writing about emo for. Uh, for, you know, for the most part. I mean, that really, I can relate to that. And I think in a lot of senses, like anyone who's been out there this year trying to like make do of like something in a crumbling industry, whether it's it's politics, whether it's writing, whether it's academia or whatever, um, they can probably relate to this album, you know, more than they feel comfortable with. (laughs) Because really that's honestly what it's about, like trying to like figure out like what lasts in this world and what's worth striving for and what's worth like putting yourself out there for when it seems like the apocalypse is like always near, whether it be like financial or environmental. Um, uh, this one just, it really just satisfied everything I want out of Indie rock and, you know, God, God bless them. It, and, you know, now they're going to go tour with Coheed and Cambria for a Uh, <laughs> if you ever wonder like where it's, you know, so that's, uh, that, that, that's my take. What's your number one? Well,
0: well, I just want to say about Foxing, like they didn't make my top 10. I love this record. They probably would have been at number 11 or 12. Like they were right on mm. the door. They were like at some point in my top 10 and then they got shifted out. But I love this record. And just to add to what you were saying, it, similar to the Young Jesus uh, record, I feel like people that complain about indie rock being stagnant and not interesting and and, and and closed off from the rest of the world, like they need to hear this Foxing record because I, I think Foxing yeah. was a way, they found a way to incorporate you know, elements of pop music, R and B and hip hop into this record in a very, again, organic, non forced way. This isn't like Fallout Boy, you know, having these like grating, bleeding songs that are just unlistenable. You know, that's sort of like the bad example, I think, of well, like an emo well, punk band trying to do that. Foxing did I it in also a way I hear a lot of like
1: I also hear a lot of smaller like bands in that same realm who like did as I call it, like here's Carly Ray Jepsen once and, like, starts putting, like, trap beats and, like, oh, we listen to pop now. Right. Uh, I've heard, like, a lot of, you know, I won't name names, but, like, it's, uh, yeah, I, I I've heard a lot of bands that, like, just feel like, oh, we listen to pop now. Like, but Foxing on the other hand, like, did it far more like subtly and organically. Yeah, and
0: they, and, and they still made a rock record, but they were able yeah. to show that they have big ears and that they can incorporate different things and not just sort of reiterate mm-hmm. the same things over and over. So that's very admirable about that record. It's great. Definitely check it out. My number one record is Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino by Arctic Monkeys. This was a record that I felt like was probably going to be my record of the year when it came out because uh-huh. for me, when I make a list like this, I'm looking for records that I was obsessed with at some point during the year, Yeah, you know, like that record that you, you could only listen to to that album for like a week or two or even a month. And you thought about it all the time and you quoted the lyrics and it kind of took over your life. And I I know for you, the Foxing record, that was certainly true for you. And and the only album really that happened to me with, uh, to that degree was the Arctic Monkeys record. Mm. And um, you know, this is a band that I've enjoyed, for a long time. Of course, they've been around since uh, like the mid 2000s. They were in a way the the England's answer to the, uh, you know, the garage rock explosion that happened in the early 2000s. Like They were the strokes of England, you know, very much inspired by the strokes. And of course, uh, Tranquility Base opens with a lyric where Alex Turner talks about wanting to be one of the strokes. Uh, so it kind of comes full circle in that regard. Uh, you know, and in uh, I guess that was 2013, they put out AM, which was very much an arena rock record. I think maybe like one of the great examples of that, one of the only great examples of that in this decade, but this very kind of popular, swaggering, bluesy, almost-sounding rock record. And then they go in the totally opposite direction on Tranquility Bass, where it's a lot of mid-tempo, kind of croonery songs reminiscent of like nick cave and david bowie and all that sort of stuff and a lot of people hated this record for that reason they they felt like it was a slog that there weren't a lot of hooks on this record and Mm -hmm. i can understand reacting to the record that way but for me it just hit me on the right wavelength where to me it creates a world that's totally unique that just sucked me in and i think in terms of the words uh, it, it's my favorite record to think about. Like this is an album where like if I listen to it uh, on uh, my Amazon app, you know, the lyrics are, come up for every song and I'll listen to the album that way because um, I just think it's hilarious. I think it's a, it, it's like from top to bottom, it's hilarious and it's also kind of scary, but it's very quotable. And I think of it, you know, so I saw someone online recently, they were talking about the 1975 record and they said the reason why I like... The 1975 is that they're like the only rock band that you can quote and I was like the Tranquility bass record is like the 1975 record if it was like five years older and like hung over and just yeah. saw much more of the world you know and to me that's more appealing like I feel like this is like a smarter version of what the 1975 are trying to do as much as I like oh. the 1975 I appreciate what they're doing I like that band but there's just a there's a world weariness to this album Along with, again, I think the music does get short shrift on this album because I think it is grander and more excessive in its own way than maybe it, gets, than it got credit for from people that maybe listened to it a couple times and then threw it in the trash can. Um, I don't know. This is just an album that I love returning to it, and I love thinking about it. And I just think it's – I don't know. It's it, – I know what you're going to say, because we've talked about this album. (laughs) You've said that, like, well, this album isn't as weird as people have said it is. And it's not, I don't think it's like some bizarre, like, totally left turn type record. I just think um, it was an album clearly made without any concern for, like, what their old constituency was, which would have been... I agree agree
1: with that part of it. Like, it's definitely a a pivot, and probably a small, for them to like, you know, maybe like for their long term prospects to go towards that. And um, I mean, it is a weird album, uh, but to me, it's like, and you've included um, Father John Misty on your list as well. It's like the world weariness and the cleverness like that. Uh, I I just don't vibe with that. Like I I like the you know for me it's like I think this is where our paths diverge. I love like the as I say like the shittiness and like just the emotional transparency and. I mean, that 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 to me is like where Arctic Monkeys lose me. It's like, um, you know, it's like that kind of like archnet. Like I, like uh, and for someone who always liked Oasis more than Blur, I'm surprised that's, uh, you know, I'm surprised that's uh, the wave you're going as well. Well,
0: you know, that is, I mean, that's a good point. But I mean, I, I do like I, maybe that's just the mood I'm in right now. Where I mm. like the idea of, you know, the person in a tuxedo with the tie undone, Frank Sinatra style and you know, drinking too many martinis and then just ranting about the end of the world. I mean, that yeah, I mean, like, I, 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 like I loved pure comedy, and mm. I love this record. I mean, in a way, this is like very similar to pure comedy in a lot of ways, musically and lyrically. I think this record is funnier than pure pure comedy. I mean, to me, like, and I'm not even like a huge lyrics person all the time, but like to me this was like by far like my favorite album lyrically this year. Like th- this was like an album again where like I would think about a song like four out of five and yeah. I would quote that and it just became like a world that I wanted to be in. Um, mm-hmm. And just all the non sequiturs on this record. I just really got into it. And I and again, I think the sameness of a lot of the songs on this record, it, it works for me because I just feel like it's more of a vibe and an atmosphere type record than Mm -hmm. it is almost like a songs record if uh, maybe that doesn't make sense but to me Mm -hmm. it's about kind of immersing yourself in this vibe for about 45 minutes and i really like it so it's my number one record of the year so man so we did it man another year over we 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 made ourselves make a list
1: (laughs) yay
0: yay uh ian it's always a pleasure always a pleasure man thanks for coming on uh and uh, this is going to be our last podcast for a while so uh Hopefully it won't be the last one. I think we'll be doing it again, but uh, you know, sometime in 2019, hopefully we'll talk again on the pod. Right on, man. All right, man. Take care. All right. Later. Okay. That's it for this episode. I think that was good. You know, normally with lists, you know, I kind of complained about doing a list at the beginning of the episode, but you know, I'm glad I did it. It's still fun. And you know, I always regret not putting certain albums on as soon as I make my list public. And I'm sure, I'll go through that emotion. I'm sure I'll, I'll hear like my actual favorite album of 2018, like a few days after this goes up. I mean, it seems like that always happens. But you know, for for what it's worth, I, I'm happy with my list. I think it's fine, and it, it didn't look like Derek was getting too upset at me. I think when I said Arctic Monkeys, you were not too pleased with. I my... was surprised that no. that's all. I was not not displeased. Just. Just a surprise. Uh, you know, it's a love-it-or-hate-it record. I love that album, and I'll defend it to the end. Uh, Derek, got to thank you, man who makes it happen. Thank you, Derek, and I hope you have a good holiday season. Thank you. And got to thank Josh Copperman for writing our theme song. Thank you, Josh. And thank you all to our Celebration Rock listeners. Thank you for your support this year. It was a really great year. You know, we got started, I guess that was in March or so, with the Springsteen series. That seems like forever ago, but that was this year. And... Uh, We had a really great year, man. It was really fun and uh, looking forward to doing it it again whenever that might be in 2019. So thanks again for listening, guys. We will uh, see you again, not next week, but soon here at the Celebration Rock Podcast. Take it easy.
1: On the Westwood One Podcast Network. How wrestling really works and how you get the ratings. Eric Bischoff and Conrad Thompson explain. On
0: 83 Weeks. This is indeed the first WrestleMania without Vince McMahon. It's about as horrible as it can get, but does erasing that history make it any better? Everybody's being careful not to celebrate Vince McMahon. I think you can acknowledge him without celebrating him. I think that's the double-edged sword that everybody's sort of carrying for now.
1: 83 Weeks on YouTube or wherever you listen.